Well, this just seems just perfect. That's what I'm screaming. I mean, it's a Thursday night. Almost summertime. And uh, these 90s and early early 2000s wrestling to be discussed. Yes. And welcome to another edition of That's What I'm Screaming. Also known as, <laughs> also known as the uh, junction of pop culture and cherry yeah. rose. No, the, the nexus of the pop nexus. culture. The next, why, why is that so hard for me to remember? Why are, we a, why are we a nexus and not a junction? That's why we had to change for, to that's what I'm screaming. <laughs> because of the confusion that it's had. It's a nexus because it's, uh, it's like it's the center of the universe where, oh. all, where all things cross. Whereas a junction simply connects one thing to another. So... Like, like that Blacksburg is a junction between Rock Hill and Spartanburg. Okay, yeah. All right. So what what we what we're saying here is that this is much bigger than just your average junction. <laughs> yes, it's a nexus. Okay. Is is there any sort of uh, temporal implication here? Is our, I mean, are we saying that you know time travel is occurring, or I think we'd have to get to a season two. Of the podcast before we could officially well, make those now, kinds of announcements. Now, is there a minimum number of episodes that are required for a second season? Uh, I, I think uh, 14. Four t- and this is episode? Five. Five? Okay. Yes. So it, it seems as though, um, you know, in around the midway point to any new uh, new show uh, that isn't there usually some sort of new character introduced or uh, some sort well, of dramatic change? Stu says he would like to make an appearance during the summer months. Well, then Stu will certainly be welcome. I, quite frankly, I've been <laughs> wondering where Stu's been all this time. Uh, he's busy with schoolwork, he says. Stu needs to understand that in some people in life you have to make sacrifices. You do, yeah, and then this is clearly more important than school, right? I mean, it's a nexus for crying out loud. It's in the game. Amen. So, you know, um, so you know, where do we begin tonight? I'm, 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 I'm kind of at a, you know, a, a, there are so many places that we could start that. Well, I, I figured out a place that we could start because I thought we would we would start with the our first experience being exposed to professional wrestling. Well, so what was yours? What was mine? And then we'll kind of move it from there. I would I'd really like to focus on for this episode, particularly the you know the uh, world world class wrestling, uh, Mid Atlantic, Jim Crockett, NWA kind of side of things. Not that we can't mention WWF by any means, but. I was hoping we'd focus more on that promotion tonight. Okay, well, and 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 I'm I'm perfectly fine with that, as long as uh, we are in agreement that there needs to be just an entire episode dedicated to nothing but the New World Order. Oh, I absolutely agree. I just want to I just want to ex- I want to go through everything first before we get there because I really feel that it'll be more meaningful when we get to the uh, the NWO. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna let you uh, kick this off then. I, I'd like to hear about your first uh, professional wrestling experience, um, whether that be an actual event or whether it be just uh, some uh, a uh, we'll we'll call it a patchwork. Leave <laughs> me a tapestry of your experience with professional. I bet these words have never been uttered together. Professional <laughs> wrestling and weaving a tapestry. I think more of a quilt. Uh, but hey, I mean, whatever kind of patchwork you want to do, it's okay with me. I'll, I'll say what well, that this is a really good for me. That's a good analogy because it really is. It's kind of a patchwork of things of of my whole wrestling fandom because there were there's different pieces together. It was over different time periods. So the best I could figure was I don't really remember anything about professional wrestling until it was like a Saturday afternoon. My brother said to me, you know. Hulk Hogan's wrestling the Iron Sheik. Uh, 
And if he can get out of the camel clutch, uh, he'll be the first man ever to do it. Now, I, I don't know if that happened. I don't know if he was already, the match was already on, he brought me into it, or we knew it was coming on, but I remember that was the first match I ever saw, had any exposure to professional wrestling, was Hulk Hogan beating the Iron Sheik to win the title and uh, escaping the camel clutch to do so. And, you know, Grill Monsoon saying that Hulkamania was born. Um, or Hulkamania was here. It was something like that. Hulkamania has arrived. That was it. So that was my, my first experience. I think from that point, for years, I was hooked just based on that one match. And that, that one match is is, uh, is is what made Hulk Hogan and, and makes the next, you know, 30 years of wrestling. That's that's a pretty significant event to remember. I mean, I, <laughs> and I, I'm, and I, I'm a little bit in awe, but but I, I feel like though, in your uh, uh, in in your quilting here, because that's what we're going to call it, since since we're doing patchwork, in your quilting here, you immediately uh, uh, started talking about WWF. Well, yeah. Well, the, I have to talk about that to get into the other stuff. Okay. Okay. So. so we, we we need to make sure that we are we are laying down those those uh, appropriate uh, uh, exceptions to the rule. So I mean, you know, otherwise, you know, it's it's willy nilly. You know, it's it's almost like we're in a verbal battle royal. <laughs> Which I always preferred, by the way. The WWF always called it a battle royal. Do you remember what they called it in? NWA slash WCW. Ooh. Wait, battle. Wait, Royal Rumble, Battle Royale. Yeah, that's the but Battle Royal, Royal Rumble. That's that's your WWF terms. And there was like there was one called War Games that involved like two rings or something. Yeah, there was all that, but no, it was called. Are you ready? Are you are you on the edge of your seats, fans? I am. I am. It was called a bunkhouse stampede. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. And that's just such a better name. Well, and, and that's and we'll get into that. And that's why the NWA eventually hooked me was things like that. Like I'd call it a bunkhouse stampede was great. Mm-hmm. So absolutely. And we can get in the history of WWF later. So you know, as as that was, I believe it was the beginning of '84. It's like January of '84. You know, Hogan wins the title. We get into the feud with Roddy Roddy Piper, the Rock and Wrestling Connection. And so I'm all I'm all hooked on that, and I think you know, we were maybe I think '84 we were 11, so um, I was all about the Hulk, you know, watching WWF on on Saturday mornings. Uh, I remember being on USA Network on Friday nights, um, uh-huh. and it was and I was transitioning out of cartoons on Saturday mornings into the WWF, and just loving the Hulkster, saying your prayer, eating your vitamins. My parents absolutely hated me watching wrestling; they thought it was the worst thing in the world. Uh, and I, I, I said to my dad just a few weeks ago, I said, why was it so bad? This Hulk Hogan was up there screaming about America, saying your prayers, eating your vitamins. What didn't you like? And he just kind of laughed. He said, I don't know. We just never liked wrestling, as I would say. Um, <laughs> which is weird, being from Philadelphia, that they would both say wrestling, which is definitely a Southern term. So as, you know, as I got in, uh, to the WWF over the course of two years, we would vacation in Hilton Head every year. And when we go to Hilton Head, they had TBS. And, and we didn't get that where I lived at the time. Mm-hmm. So then um, a few times we would spend two weeks there. So we'd be there on Saturday night in Hilton Head. And that's when they would have on the, w, the TBS studio wrestling, the NWA. And I would just catch glimpses of that. And what is this? You know, these, these, are, these are guys in a, in a small studio, just like a, you know, two rows of chairs making like a right angle around the rim. Had all the flags hanging from the ceiling. Had a little studio right there, which it seemed like, you know, every every five minutes, these matches on the the TBS show lasted like thirty seconds. It seemed like, yeah. Uh, and but the promos were so great, and so I started watching that, and then I discovered that that I could watch that uh, on the UHF stations in Philadelphia, but it wasn't on Saturday mornings. It was on like Sunday night at ten o'clock. Okay. And so then I realized, okay, well I can watch it. I can watch it Saturday night. And get away with it. Then I can watch it Sunday night. And they even watch. They even got a asked for a black and white TV for my birthday one year. I think it was thirteen. So it's been 
maybe around 86, which was like the great year of NWA. Got a black and white TV for my birthday so I could watch that in my room on Sunday nights. That, that you know what else I watched? Because that was only once a week. You know what I was watching the other nights? Late at night? Like 10 o'clock at night in middle school. In 1986? Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was in reruns, though. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say the Andy Griffith show. That's a good guy. I was watching Taxi. Okay. okay. Which is one of my favorite TV shows. So I, I started watch, you know, I started getting into the NWA. And I, you know, as you watch that, it just seemed like the matches were a little – they were shorter matches. So there was tons more stars during the episode you're watching. And the promos were just such high energy. And you had these great feuds going on with Magnum TA and Nikita Goloff. And the Rock and Roll Express seemed like the coolest guys in the world. Against the Midnight Express, um, who seem to – they actually – even now when I listen to stuff and watch clips about them, Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry rarely said anything. It was all Jim Cornette. Without question. Uh, was That's a whole other five podcasts in itself. But it just seemed to be – while the WWE seemed – WWF, sorry – seem to be so so polished uh you know hulk hogan like basically every time he gave a promo was the same exact promo no matter who he was wrestling against let me tell you something mean gene and you know he'd go on say a prayer and and i i still love the wwf but there's something about nwa that you know it seemed like it was was based in the south kind of um i shouldn't say kind of it was it was in in the south it was uh the arena seemed much more excited there seemed like every time I turned on a, the, a TV program for the NWA, a title was changing hands. The you know, WWF had the, the heavyweight championship, Intercontinental, and tag team champions. Mm-hmm. The, the NWA had a tag team belt for every day of the week. Uh, you know, the U.S. champions, U.S. tag team champions, national champions, the television champion, which I still don't understand exactly what the television champion is, uh, what, what were the circumstances surrounding that belt. His title always had to be, be defended on television. Okay. Did um, you notice on that belt? I never noticed this till recently. On that belt, you know the little plates on the side. Do you know what they are? What? They're the logos of the major networks: NBC, CBS, and ABC. Really? Yeah, I never noticed that until recently. It's always a cool looking belt because the the, tel- the NWA television belt, which I always associate with Arn Anderson, without was, question. Was, I don't know re- that anybody else ever held that belt. It was uh, it was red. Anderson, I'm listening to another podcast called What Happened When, hosted by Tony Schiavone, who was the great studio host um, of those uh, Saturday night TBS shows and, and seemingly everything else. Jim Crocker Promotions, NWA, Tony Schiavone was everywhere with that. Um, I lost my train of thought. Anyway, listen to this podcast. Art Anderson, was, he's just the master promo guy. And out of nowhere one time, he was, he was going off about, I think it was either about Dusty Rose or Ron Garvin attacking the Four Horsemen. And he's, and he, he's talking about that, and he suddenly says, how would you feel if someone took your child, put it in a stroller, and rolled it down the side of the mountain? <laughs> it's like out of nowhere. And I, the, promos were, the promos were so good, and you, you knew. On that one, like in the WWF, when you watch that, and like there was bad, the bad guys there, they were bad guys, and you didn't want to be on their side. But then you watch the NWA, and they had the, the heels – not the bad, we call them bad guys, call them heels. You were liking those guys. All of a sudden, those guys were like maybe cooler than, than the good guys. I mean, you like Dusty Rhodes, but wait a minute, Ric Flair, he's driving me crazy, but I'd rather him come back out and say some more stuff. The Midnight Express drove you crazy, but you wanted them around to always be the foil to the Rock and Roll Express. Well, yes, and, 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 and because Jim Cornette was awesome. He was incredible. I mean, he was awesome. Um, probably, in in my mind, not a better heel manager in the history of wrestling than Jim Cornette. I'll agree because I liked Bobby Heenan, but Bobby Heenan was not was not Jim Cornette. No, no. So, you know, you've said many many things here already. Um, and there's so many I feel like I have to address. Uh, one of the things that you said was that they call it uh, was how your dad referenced wrestling. Mm-hmm. And he said, you said that wrestling is a term uh, that they use in the South. 
I would argue that. I would say that wrestling is a term that in the North, they say that we use in the South. Oh, okay. I can buy that. And it's, the, the, I mean, because until I've heard uh, people of your persuasion. <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> don't, don't love me. Hey. No, you, you, you bleed true palmetto blue. So That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. Um, you know, the only time I ever hear the term wrestling is when somebody from uh, New Jersey is talking about people in the South loving wrestling. It's true. And so now I, I, I want to talk about the, the obscene amount of titles that they used to have. <laughs> I love in, the obscene amount of titles. In the NW, in, uh, in, uh, NWA was uh, there was a period um, shortly after Magnum TA and Dusty Rhodes formed America's team where, you know, Ric Flair for, for, I mean, most of my recollection in the eighties for a good portion of it, he was the, the world champ. I mean, he was, he was the guy. I mean, mm-hmm. I think by the time he retired from WWE in that final rendition after WCW went under, um, or got bought out by McMahon, I think that the number was 16 or 17 time heavyweight champ. I think it was 16. Yeah. So, but, but early on in the early days of NWA, Magnum TA for a long time was the U S heavyweight champ. But there was a period of time where when he and Dusty were tag team partners, that he was the U.S. heavyweight champ, and Dusty was the national heavyweight champ. Mm -hmm. There came a time where they had a tournament to unify those two belts, and they did away with the national national title altogether. And I can't remember. I feel like that Dusty Rhodes, like, got hurt. Like, in, in reality, he got hurt, and so he was out for a little while. And so they declared the title vacant, mm-hmm. but then they decided to have a tournament and they somehow, and I may be making this up because. No, I think you're right. I, th- I think what you're talking about is, is around the fall of late 85. And so I feel like they somehow coerced, you know, I can't remember if it was a four horseman plot or a Russian plot. Mm-hmm. No, it was four horsemen. It was Tully Blanchard. That they coerced Magnum TA into saying that, the U.S. title was also up for grabs in order to unify it with the national title. Hmm. And I feel like it backfired because Magnum ended up winning the whole thing. So I thought, so I thought Magnum, well, then what, he, you try, this is before the best of seven series with Nikita Koloff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is well before that. Okay. Um, that was the best of seven. Oh, that was <laughs> which Which... You know, I can remember being a kid thinking, I wonder how many matches it'll go. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm the, yeah. The same way. Yeah. Like it wouldn't go seven. Like, right. Like there was any way that it was ever going to, uh, <laughs> to not go seven matches. Um, but I always, I always thought that was great. So one of the things, and also, do you remember there was a six man tag team champion? Yeah. But it was not belts. They had a trophy. It was just trophy. Yeah, the Russians had it for a long time. Yes, and then they got they lost it to the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes. Yes. And they had it forever. And 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 rarely did they defend it. Um, because they took so many different story arcs uh, where they separated people who really were good together. Dusty Rhodes in the ring. His, I mean, he was he was never a great uh, athlete. Is that that's fair to say, right? <laughs> kind of like Hulk, Hulk Hogan was not a great athlete. Hulk Hogan right. was was a horrible wrestler. But he Dusty was, Rhodes' he, ring presence just absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's that's why uh, one of the the podcast with. Dusty was never the heavyweight champion for very long because he just wasn't a good heavyweight champion. He he didn't have the right right personality to to carry that title. 
for, for I, long periods of time like Ric Flair did. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just, but I never understood about the Road Warriors, and, you know, we all thought wrestling was real. And I, and I know we can get into whether it's real or not because a lot of the stuff they do do is real. Right. Um, the, the, in reality, the Road Warriors would have murdered everybody. Because they were in, they were bigger than everybody, and they were they were cut in so much better shape than everyone else. Yeah, but there's no way Arn Anderson will last five minutes with Hawk in a ring. That's that is absolutely 100 percent accurate. <laughs> I cannot. Yeah, everyone else was the Mulkey brothers to the Road Warriors. If, if everything was on the up and up, <laughs> the, the Mul- I feel like we need to do an episode just dedicated to people like that. <laughs> The Mulkey Brothers, Tony Zane, people like that. That's uh, so. Another thing that I wanted to say is, is, is you talked about Tony Schiavone. Yes. And once again, as as I, I stated earlier about Jim Cornette being the greatest manager, I will never, ever, ever think of any other wrestling commentator as highly as I think of Tony Schiavone. Yeah, Tony Schiavone is because I love, I love Mean Gene, um, but he's different than Tony Schiavone because Tony Schiavone, you're right, he was a commentator, and I love growing up. I love Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura, but Tony Schiavone could 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 describe to you a match and just get you so excited. Uh, sure. Even when I hearing his voice come on at the beginning of a show, I was just excited. I wasn't excited when I watched WWF Superstars and I hear Vince McMahon's voice. You're Tony Schiavone. Yes. And, and I'll, t- I'll tell you, well, I'm going to one-up you because they've been talking about this in podcasts to listen to. And when I hear this guy's voice, I forgot how much I missed it. It was David Crockett. Outstanding combined with Tony Schiavone. So that's what I was getting to <laughs> was, was, was David Crockett. And so, but let me, let me finish on, on Schiavone here, though. Regardless of the circumstances – even like during the period where when the NWO had, you know, infiltrated everything. And so he had to sit with Bischoff mm-hmm. and just his, the way he presented somehow simultaneously a, a fair and balanced treatment of every match, but you could hear the disdain in his voice while doing so. I mean, nobody else could do that. No. Jim Ross could never touch that. Um, and I forever associate Jim Ross with the short-lived UWF promotion of 1986, I think it was. Because uh, I remember him being in that. was my first exposure to Jim Ross. We'll talk about him later, though. I, I don't think he's nearly as good as Shivani. No. So, But you, you said something uh, uh, about uh, a comment that uh, – that Tony Schiavone made. What was the what you, that that you thought was just awesome um, earlier on? And I can't remember what you said. Uh, but you talk about David Crockett. There was some of the things that would come out of their mouths when they were. You were talking about what he said about Ronnie Garvin and Dusty Rhodes. Do you remember this? No, I just said this. <laughs> this this was like at the twelve-minute uh, mark. Okay. Um, <laughs> All right, Stu. Let's go ahead and tag that time. So um, there was there was an episode where they were promoting. It wouldn't have been Night of the Skywalkers because that was Star oh, That's Good stuff. 86. That was that was that was Road Warriors and, and Midnight Express. So I think it was eighty five Starcade eighty five. The Road Warriors were going to take on uh, Ivan and Nikita, and. Jim, uh, uh, David Crockett made the statement, the road warriors hate everything. And then there was this long dramatic pause and he says, but especially Russians. (laughs) And I mean, you know, this is the height of the cold war. And so everybody's like, yeah, we hate Russians too. Another, another matter was, was you'd have, you know, Roddy Garvin come out there and his, you know, Roddy Garvin's Montreal accent and say, hey, Roddy Garvin's proud to be an American. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, I, so, you know, some of the, but Shivani, 
is, I mean, all through, you know, from, from those early days where, yeah, you're talking about the studio was, you know, cardboard cutouts sitting beside the ring when they were doing TV taping in places like the Greenville Memorial Auditorium. Or the Rock Hill. He, Tony Schiavone, on his podcast, Tony Schiavone frequently mentions how much he enjoyed filming at the, the Winthrop Coliseum in Rock Hill. Really? Which just absolutely just warms my heart when I hear that. No doubt. To hear him say the words Winthrop, Winthrop Coliseum and Rock Hill and say what a wonderful place it was and what a great place for where it was for the film shows. That's amazing. That, 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 I mean, that touches me very. Yeah. And so for, you know, for a long time after WCW went, went under, uh, not under, but was purchased by WWE, and he, he had nothing to do with wrestling until about four years ago, um, until he started his current podcast. Uh, and I used to, he used to do, uh, he did the Gwinnett Braves, um, I think the play-by-play on that. And then he did like the Georgia Bulldogs pregame show uh, on the AM station in Atlanta. Okay. And, I, and I just used to listen to that. And I would just listen to his voice. And I, I didn't care if he was talking about football. I was, it would just take me back to, you know, 25 years before where I'm huddled around my black and white TV you know, sing, and this is what I was going to say about the one of the big things, the differences was like you would watch the WWF and you could watch for weeks and weeks. You could watch for months. And what you would see on a Saturday morning is you would never, ever see a title change. Ever. Because they only happened at WrestleMania or they happened on the Saturday night main event. Mm-hmm. But you could turn on the TBS studio show. You could turn on one of those shows. You would see at least a title defense, or, or you, you could see a title change hands. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, sometimes they weren't that exciting. I mean, the Western States Heritage Championship uh, <laughs> that Larry Zabisco held in 87, not exactly your most thrilling title, but I, I, felt, like, I felt like stuff was happening. Yeah. And, and I didn't always need, I didn't mind that sometimes, you know, Jimmy Valent would come out to a very confusing theme song of, uh, was it a song? You remember what was it? How did that yeah. at all have anything to do with Jimmy Valiant? You know, he'd he come just, out there, throw a guy into the ropes, kick him once, and, and that was it. But because he was the boogie woogie man, and that's that's sometimes that's all you wanted was just you just wanted to see him. You just you didn't care about the for the Rock and Roll Express. There's two things you wanted to see. You wanted to see them enter the ring and do a double drop kick. Yes. Because no one wanted to hear – you wanted to hear Ricky talk. You didn't want to hear Robert talk because Robert had nothing to say because he'd say something like this. That's right, Ricky. And Rock and Roll's here to stay. And you bet it's going to happen Saturday night, here to stay. And right. then, they, then they'd make a hand gesture of some sort. <laughs> yes, they, yeah, the, the love you. Yeah. Do you know that they were saying in one of those podcasts, they used to take those bandanas off of their tights and throw them into the crowd, which that sounds yes. pretty awesome. Yes. Yeah, uh, they 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 had no shortage of bandanas. <laughs> they were all over the place. Yeah. So now that we're at the uh, near near the twenty nine minute mark, perhaps it's time for me to share my uh, my early wrestling experiences. No, that was just part one of mine. I got seven more parts to go. Oh, okay. Right. Well then, yeah. Well, I feel like I I can let me let me lay something stuff. out there though that uh, that I'm, I'm not ashamed, but I, I'm disappointed. I've never seen wrestling live in person. I feel like you should be a little bit ashamed of that. Yeah, I, the one time I the closest I came was in 1990, 1999, January of 99. Um, and it was to see Goldberg at the Georgia Dome. And I was living at Clemson at the time. Uh, and I, I just, the, the next day, it was on, I think it was on, it was in Monday Nitro is what it was. And the next day, Tuesday, was the first day of student teaching. And we had like a meeting that morning with, with our boy, Harry. Um, at like 7 a.m. And I just couldn't figure out how I was going to go travel down to the Georgia Dome, watch wrestling, and then you know, get back to Clemson at 1 or 2 in the morning and then make this meeting and you know how that goes. Go ahead. Tell me about your first experience. Well, you brought up Goldberg, and now I feel, I feel a certain way. Um, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan no, Gold, Goldberg doesn't leave a, a good taste in my mouth. I don't no. feel the same way about no. 
I like Nikita Koloff more than I like Goldberg at this point. Oh, I'm, I'm a, I, I would go so far as to say I'm a Nikita Koloff fan. Um, <laughs> you know, um, I you, know would, I'm a, you know I'm a fan of? You might be surprised. I always like Jimmy Garvin. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin? Yes. I mean, every girl he, is crazy about a sharp-dressed man. He, he was kind of like Ric Flair Light when you listen to their promos. <laughs> so similar, but he's it just always so enjoyable. Well, and, then, and, 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 and Precious was kind of like Baby Doll Light. Yep. And do, do you know that they are still married to this day? They've been married for like 50 years. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. That makes me happy. So, okay. So and we'll see you next week. No, I'm just kidding. My favorite, uh, my, or, or my earliest memories. Now, my, my brother, you know, my brother is eight years older than me. And so when I first. I, just, I didn't realize he was that much older. When I first had uh, uh, my earliest wrestling experiences were with Wahoo McDaniel and uh, Ricky Steamboat. Can I do a quick shout-out to uh, to David Matters? Sure. I think Wherever he may be, because David loved to do the – do you remember he loved to do the Wahoo McDaniel, the big chop on the chest? The, the knife-edge chop, yes. Yeah, David loved to do that. Yes, he sure did. Um, and so I remember, um, you know – Particularly, you know, Wahoo, he was awesome. I really uh, appreciate everything he did. But he was kind of a one-move guy. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, however, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of the high flyers owe a good bit of their uh, inspiration to him. Uh, he, he never, like, he just never... He never pulled me in, like you know, Arn and Tully and Ric Flair and, and Ricky Morton and Jim Cornette. And... Well, I mean, he was kind of on the tail end of his career when those guys were were really coming up. You know, uh, I mean, he's. I would put Ricky Steamboat in there more with guys like, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, Bruno San Martino. Really? Ah, oh, that's going. That's a little bit too far back, I think. Um, I mean, he Bob would, Backlund. Yeah, probably in that. I mean, you know, Bruno San Martino would have been towards the end of his career. Uh, what's uh, Barry Windham's dad's name? Um, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you know, he Ricky Steamboat kind of bridged some of the gap between those. I, you know, I don't know how old he is now, but. Uh, He's pretty old. Uh, of Rick, course, Rick, Rick Flair used to relentlessly pick on Barry Windham's nose. <laughs> well, that's you know, Wyndham was a horseman for a while. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, so uh, I guess when Ole retired, is that when? I I don't know. I, I remember Luger became a horseman. He would come out there in the TBS show, and he was new to the NWA, and would say he was going to be a horseman. I think he replaced Oli. Well, and then there was, and not that I want to go into this tragedy. Uh, Chris Benoit was a horseman. Yep. yep. Um, uh, Jeff Jarrett was a horseman. Steve McMichael. Steve McMichael. Mongo was a horseman. I think was Kurt Henning a horseman at one time. Kurt Henning was a horseman. I think that was toward the very end. You mean Mister Perfect? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I always like, I, I, I always like Jeff Jarrett. I was a Jeff Jarrett. I had never had a problem with Jeff Jarrett. And I, I, I liked him as a horseman. And there, there was a lot of guys who seemed to get in it, but nothing, you know, nothing beats the original with with, with when you have Tully and and JJ and Arn and Arn, who you know, I would have sworn, you know, we're watching Arn Anderson in nineteen eighty six. I was thinking Arn Anderson was forty five years old. He was like twenty eight. Well, he just always seemed so much more mature than everybody else. He did. Just the way he came across. Yeah, um, well, and when you when you put those four guys in front of the camera with James Day Dillon, there there is nothing better. Oh, it, there really isn't. Now, do you remember 
do you remember Gene, the other Anderson brother? No. So, I think, and this is one that, that one, if we really had a, 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 a large following at this point, that people would be firing in comments because they'd probably be disputing me. But I think we don't want to discourage people from firing comments. Listeners, if you want to, if you want to send us a comment, please do so. I think that the original four horsemen were the three Anderson brothers and flair and that Gene Anderson retired pretty quickly into the, the, the promotion and they brought in Tully Blanchard. This is where Stu would be invaluable, but um, I, I don't recall that. Um, I'm pretty sure it happened on that the TBS studio show, the Formation I, of the Horsemen. I do not recollect that at this time. <laughs> but there used to be there there used to be three Andersons, um, and and you, it may, I may be the Anderson part. Yes, I'm I'm 100 sure of. I may be misremembering the the Four Horsemen formation um, because. I did when I remember when Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair actually became enemies. Um, when when Flair and uh, uh, Flair and Tully Blanchard broke uh, Sam Houston's leg, and Dusty Rhodes because Ric Flair had a segment on the uh, on the show on the. Uh, NWA promotion every week where he would come and sit down and I can't remember if he sat down with Crockett or Shivani. I think it was Crockett and they, they would just talk about being the champ and Flair was really not a heel at this point but then something happened and I don't remember exactly what because this was this is in my earliest memories of, 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 of the promotion so this would have been Steve this would probably been 81, 82 well, that's way before me. Um, and uh, this is when the great Kabuki was the big, the big heel. On uh, d- does that name ring a bell to you? Is he the guy who had like he painting on his chest and that's he would com- spit? Yeah, he would, yeah. So um, Ric Flair was on his show, and Crockett or Shivani, whoever it was, you know. So they're sitting there on the studio and it's, it's all, you know, it's not your standard studio because they're with the champ. So there's comfy chairs and whatnot, big TV on the wall and uh, uh, Crockett or Shivani, whoever it is says, um, says, well, you know, champ, we've got, uh, we've got uh, a special guest today. Uh, Dusty Rhodes wants to come on and say a few words to you. And, uh, so they bring Dusty on and, you know, and Flair's like, and, and he just like goes off about how he's lost respect for Flair as a human being and all this stuff. And he's coming for him and Flair jumps up. You can't talk to me like that on my show. And it's, it's like just all of a sudden this relationship that they did have is over. And now for the rest of all time, they're going to be mortal enemies. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was. I mean, there was never a time, as far as I can remember, there was never a time again when Flair and Dusty Rhodes were on. No, the I can I can never remember Flair and Rhodes ever. Uh, I, wasn't there a time where one of them tried to come in and save the other one? I think there was. I think maybe Dusty tried to come in and save Flair, maybe from the Russians or something, and Flair wanted nothing of it. Oh, I don't remember that. It sounds like something they would do, but uh, but yeah. Flair uh, had a promo on one of the one of the shows I was listening to recently. He had a promo talking about promo on the women, and he's like, he's like, all you all you want young women want to come ride Space Mountain. He goes over the age of eighteen, of course. <laughs> now, um, uh, now I was there, and I think we may have hit on this at some point in another discussion that we had. I was there live at the Greenville Memorial Auditorium the night that the superpowers were unveiled. Um, it was, you know, just probably weeks after Magnum TA had his car accident. Um, and 
the bill that night was supposed to be him and him and Dusty wrestling uh, uh, Flair and uh, I think it was Flair and Arn at that point in time because mm-hmm. I think you know Oli Oli was going pretty inactive even in the early days of the Horseman. Yeah, uh, he had some he had some leg issue I think. Yeah, yeah. Because um, him and Arn so, couldn't defend their tag team titles. Yeah. So it was. So Rick and Arn were 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 scheduled to to wrestle them, and uh, and so the card still said, and I remember this because I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." Um, the card still said America's team, because that's that was Dusty and Magnum's, you know, tag team name, and uh, so they play the America's team music and. Dusty comes walking out and Nikita Koloff's with him. Yep. And the crowd just goes bonkers. Um, you know, and uh and and so they What was Dusty's music? You know, I can't remember. I can't remember. I can hear, I can hear the Rock and Roll Express, I can hear the Midnight Express in my head, I never heard Claire's music. Um When was the last time you watched? Uh, video of the Rock and Roll Express entering the ring around 1985. <laughs> if you haven't, you need to watch it because the pop of that crowd is amazing. They loved Ricky and Robert. There's no doubt about it. That's awesome. And 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 this the cl- like you know nowadays they come in they're walking through an entrance that's you know 15 feet wide. These guys are walking through like you know three feet of space. People's hands are all over them. Yeah, you know, not really, re- not really, not really a COVID environment, was it? No, and those guys are still wrestling. They look horrible, but they're still wrestling. Are they really? Yes. Oh my word! I mean, they've got to be in their sixties. Yeah, when I lived, we lived up in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and unfortunately, while while we were living in Murfreesboro, Ricky Morton was in the uh, uh, Rutherford County Jail for uh, failing to pay child support. Hmm. Yeah, that's rough. Ricky, Ricky could cut a good promo. Yeah, he could. Um, you know, there was a period where he had a feud with Ric Flair. Yeah, yeah. And I think remember Ric Flair threw through the Flair through the training ride. Remember that? Yes, yes. I think for a brief moment, you know, it may have been for a week or less, he actually beat Flair for the title. Um, really. I don't I remember so. that. That's a, that sounds awesome. I remember he dropped Flair dropped the title briefly to. Hold on, we have a uh, special guest popping in. Hi, Jack. Good night, Good night Jack. Um, Flair dropped the title to Garvin briefly. Uh, so maybe eighty six. I don't know if it was eighty seven. Ronnie Garvin is hands of stone. <laughs> H- hands so strong that if they hit you, it just knocked you to the ground. And I always just, I always found it, you know, uh, hilarious uh, that that was his finishing move was the, I don't know, the the, the punch, (laughs) but that punching was illegal. Yeah, yeah, you could, oh yeah, because JJ and uh, and Tully and Arm were always up there talking about the illegal closed fist. You know it's illegal. Yeah, yeah. Who was the wasn't Bob Cottle? Bob Cottle was the announcer. Who was the uh, the president of the NWA? They're always saying his name. I <sighs> somebody. Uh, it sounds like Bob Cottle, but it's not. I said, "What are you going to do about it? You know it's illegal. You know you can't do it." I think it was Bob Cottle. I think you're right. They knocked Flair out in one of the. Uh, <laughs> they knocked Flair out in one of the studio shows, and then. <laughs> We'll come back like the next week, and Shivani and David Crocker are like, "Come here, Flair. Let's watch this." <laughs> and they just narrating the tape of getting knocked out. Flair's getting angry. It's just, it's so good. There was oh god, I, I'm, that, that's going to drive me crazy now. Who who the president was? Um, was it Bob Geiger? No, that doesn't sound. I, I really feel like it was Bob Cobb. Um. Let's see here if I there. I'll do some research right here. 
Are, are we allowed to do that? Is is I mean, I think that's okay. It was just like even talking about it, like it was just it was so much fun to watch the NWA because there was the char- the characters were so the storylines were so good. Well, and they were truly characters, and we haven't even begun to talk about Paul Jones's army. No. <laughs> I mean, we have not mentioned Baron Von Rasky. We have not mentioned Pistol Pez, later to be known as Shaska Watley, once he joined Paul Jones. We didn't talk about the betrayal of the boogie-woogie man on the part of the raging bull Manny Fernandez. None of those things have we even brought up, and we are already at the 46-minute mark. Manny Fernandez, he he won the title at one point, right? I don't know that he was ever the champ. Um, he was for a brief period of time. He was the third man in the six man tag team champions. Uh, prior to the Russians winning it, it was dusty and Magnum and Manny Fernandez. Okay. Um, but so Jimmy Paul Jones. So Paul Jones always had it out for, Jimmy Valiant. Um, he was going to destroy the Boogie Woogie Man, whatever it took. Paul, Paul Jones, he was the guy who was dressed in like the, the beige safari outfit. Yes. Yes. And, and like I the mean, mustache. Yes. Honestly, he looked a little Hitlerish. <laughs> um, you know, which uh, there's a whole nother, <laughs> another, another path to go down with that. There was, I listened to one the other day where it was it, uh, they can't, someone compared Ronnie Garvin compared somebody to Hitler. It's like, yeah, hey, you can't say that. He probably was talking about Paul Jones because Ronnie Garvin had feuds with them too. Um, but so always, always his number one goal seemed to be to destroy Jimmy Valiant. And um, Jimmy Valiant uh, was always partnered with Manny Fernandez, the Raging Bull. And the Raging Bull kept on bailing Jimmy Valiant out of trouble. You know, he'd be in a match and all of a sudden here would come Baron Von Raschke and the Barbarian and Ming the Merciless. And they'd all come running down to the ring to beat up Jimmy Valiant while he was in his match against, you know, a Mulkey brother or whatever. And Manny Fernandez continually came and, you know, bailed him out. Well, so finally, Paul Jones, like, <laughs> pulls together the briefcase full of money, you know? Mm-hmm. And he offers it to Manny Fernandez if he'll join his side. And so he puts the case out there, and Manny Fernandez slams the case shut. And so Jimmy Valiant turns around. He's like cheering at the crowd, like, yeah, my boy won't turn on me, whatever. And Manny Fernandez picks up the briefcase and hits Jimmy Valiant over the head. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, all of us watching, we're just like, what just happened? This can't be. And so then it became this whole, you know, this whole feud which culminated ultimately in, so every time Jimmy Valiant would go to fight anybody in Paul Jones's army, Manny Fernandez would come running down and, and attack Jimmy Valiant. The other side would get disqualified, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know the way it goes. Right, right. So it culminated at one of the, uh, and I don't remember if it was Starcade. I think it was a Starcade where Jimmy Valiant was going to wrestle Paul Jones with Manny Fernandez suspended in a cage above the ring. <laughs> and so the whole time leading up to it, Paul Jones was like, this is not going to happen. And Manny Fernandez was like, nobody's going to get me in the cage. And so all these guys come down to try to get him in the cage and he fight, he's fighting them all off. Well, then come, down comes Wahoo. And Wahoo gives him the chop smashes him right into the cage and they shut the cage and 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 so Jimmy Valiant gets to wrestle Paul Jones without interference and 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 of course he beats him because you know Paul Jones is mostly a manager 
So, um, so yeah, that was that was a good storyline. Um, but Paul Jones is kind of his specialty was getting good guys to betray their their friends. Uh, that's how that's what they did with Shaska Watley, Pistol Pez mm-hmm. Watley too, because uh, he was partners. Pistol Pez was partners with, um, I think it was Tony Atlas. I don't know if you remember Tony Atlas. He was the world's strongest man, right? He was. I mean, you want to talk? No, that no, yes. But prior to Mark Henry in the WWE, because, yeah, I remember Tony Atlas because he was just cut. I mean, yeah, he was Road Warrior cut. Um, yeah, maybe he was. more so. Um, and there are some other guys that were that cut that uh, that were early on. Do you, are you? Do you go far enough back to remember uh, superstar Billy Graham and Billy Jack Haynes? I don't know Billy Jack Haynes. I only know Billy Graham because he came back around the late eighties to WWF. Yeah. And I always thought, wait, this guy looks a lot like Hulk Hogan. And then I learned that Hulk Hogan modeled a lot of his early stuff on superstar yeah. Billy Graham. Yeah. And uh so Superstar Billy Graham and Billy Jack Haynes were tag team partners. They're probably they probably reached their peak maybe a year or so before you started watching if you started in eighty five. Um, and, and then they kind of, they were, there was, we'll just say allegations of, you know, some, some, uh, drug abuse, uh, and, but they were huge. I mean, they were cut like, so one of their things, they would do arm wrestling matches, um, which, you know, ultimately would lead into street brawls, but. They'd start out and they would arm wrestle people, you know, like, you know, they'd arm wrestle. I can remember Billy, uh, superstar Billy Graham beat Nikita Koloff in an arm wrestling match. And then, of course, or, or he was about to beat him. And, you know, Nikita's arm was like, you know, a centimeter away from being pinned. And then Ivan would hit, hit superstar with a chair. Right. And then it would just become a Donnie Brook. Well, I, I, I remember there was. There's like Crusher Khrushchev. There was Nikita Koloff, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe this guy. I was, I was thinking it was NWA. Maybe he was UW. Was there another guy called the Siberian? Maybe, and he had like okay. a little little ponytail coming out the top of his head, and maybe had on a lot of mascara. Hmm, I don't remember that one, but I do remember when Nikita joined Dusty um, and became the Superpowers. Ivan didn't take it very well. Okay, and so he went back to Russia, and recruited Nikita's mentor, who was named Vladimir Pietrov, and he was a, a, I mean, a monster. He was huge, uh, and so you know, Nikita had a feud with them for a little while. Dusty helped out some, but uh, but it was mostly Nikita going against this Vladimir Pietrov with Ivan interfering. Crusher Khrushchev kind of just disappeared. After a while, um, I don't really know whatever ha- what ultimately happened to him, um, because it it just seemed like he was gone one day. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I remember I felt like there were even Nikita at that time. Nikita also very cut too. Yes, yes. Nikita Nikita's from Minnesota. I learned that in a uh, so when toward the end of my. Uh, toward the end of my time at Winthrop. I was, I mean, I, I feel sure this was probably my last semester there and maybe, maybe my last few weeks there. Ted DiBiase, um, uh, you know, Ted DiBiase runs a, is, is a, uh, an evangelist now. I don't know if you knew that or not. I think um, I did know that. But he, he gathered together a, a stable of other uh, former wrestlers uh, who were also who are also Christians and, uh, and, and he did this. So he did this kind of like wrestling promotion, but that, you know, at the end there would be like a, you know, a presentation of the gospel kind of thing. And um, so the keynote speaker that night was, was Nikita Koloff. And so he comes out and he's doing the whole Russian thing. And then all of a sudden he says something like, but really I'm just a guy from Minnesota. And he drops the accent and he just kind of just starts talking and about, 
to give kind of his testimony, both in his faith and about his career in professional wrestling. It was really awesome. It was great. I, I was, That's I was cool. glad that I was working at the Coliseum at that time, just to hear, you know, these guys that, you know, I've known this one way for so long, uh, you know, talk about something that's, you know, that's real and, 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 uh, and tangible. So, uh, so I, you know, that, that was kind of cool, but, um, but yeah, I mean, good gosh, I feel like we could go on and on about just the Jim Crockett days, uh, at this point. Uh, so it may be that our, our, our part two is just continuing on with, with Jim Crockett promotions. Yeah, yeah, even more because we just talked about why we loved it so much. Even going to some specific matches, some of the big title changes, the big gold belt, the uh, big that Rick, gold belt that Ric Flair debuted. The, their their belts were awesome. Uh, yeah, I liked them a lot. One of the things I would love, I'm, I'm hitting for Father's Day. I really want the 135 dollar uh, metal and leather uh, television champion belt that's available on Etsy. It looks incredible. Yeah. But in, and for me, like I, I really enjoyed the the NWA. I loved it, and then that that got me into you know I got a little bit into the AWA because then then I figured out that was on ESPN like at four o'clock in the afternoon when I got home from school. Um, and then the UWF came along for a brief period of time, and that brought in new people that I didn't know, like Ted DiBiase and the One Man Gang, and Jim Ross and Doctor Death and and uh. Was it Steve Taylor? Was his name? No. Uh, Dr. Death, uh, Steve Williams. Steve Williams. There's no, was it Tony, Terry Taylor? Terry Taylor. Who um, apparently is one of the biggest jerks in all of wrestling from, from everything I've ever heard about him. Um, Terry Taylor? Yeah. Really? You know, I always liked his finishing moves. I don't remember he, what it was. He was the superplex, the suplex from the top rope. Okay. Um, which I always thought was. Was 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 a was a neat move. Um, so, but that's another. You know, there, there's a whole other like side topic that I feel like we could spend like a a third or a half of an episode on is talking about guys who were W uh, were Crockett uh, were NWA slash WCW and transitioned to WWF or vice versa, or mm-hmm. did the switch and then the switch back, right. So, because there's there's a good many of those. Yeah, um, Arn, the Four Horsemen. Yeah, yeah, and what and and then there are those uh, who refused to, uh, you know, or 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 who had a very short lived period. You know, I, I I never really was quite clear on why Diamond Dallas Page couldn't make that transition. Oh, over to WWE. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. he was also a lot older than we realized. Was he? Yeah, that's one of the things I I learned about him was during that time of the you know the late nineties that because I was wondering where was this guy, um, and then I think he was a lot older than we thought. Okay, I bet and you that, he's. I don't know how old sense. he is, but yeah, I always like DDP. Yeah, I'm a, and, I'm, and you know, and and the reason and the reason why WCW worked was because it felt like just a rebirth of what we watched in the eighties and then it's back 15 years later and the horsemen are there, but it's not the horsemen driving it. Now it's the NWO. Yes. That's like, that was like, but the problem with the NWO became this is there was always only four horsemen. All of a sudden the NWO just let everybody in. Yeah. And that always, that always bothered me. So one of the things, and, and, and before, before we get to our, uh, our closing Mike Schmidt question of the evening. Um, <laughs> the uh, um, if you go back and you watch, and 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 you may you, you can probably even find the transcripts. Um, the night that the NWO is basically born, mm-hmm. Panama um, City. Um, it's it's I believe it I believe the pay per view was Bash at the Beach. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it was uh, it, the the uh, the match was originally Sting and Randy Savage um, against the Outsiders. I believe I believe that was the original match, and 
Sting got hurt pretty early in the match. And so Savage was taking a beating at the hands of Hall and Nash. And Hogan came down. And everybody, of course, thought Hogan's going to help his buddy Savage. And he didn't. He did the leg drop on Savage. And at the end of the broadcast, they're talking in the ring. And, and, and uh, Gene Okerlund's like, you know, um, uh, you know, asking Hogan, what is the meaning of all this? Blah, 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 blah. And Hogan calls it the New World Organization. <laughs> and I always wondered at what point did the writers think yeah, New World Order sounds a lot better <laughs> or if that was just a a, a, a a snafu on Hogan's part I've always wondered that there's so, some great commentary by if you watch that on, on YouTube when, when Hulk Hogan first appears and Shivani is Hogan is here and then Heenan yeah. says but whose side is he on yeah and then yeah. he was going off. I never liked that guy. I never liked that guy. But that was that was because. But you know that's that's uh, that was the thing about the NWO that they did such a great job with was you never knew who you could trust. Yes, true. And 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 it just for for it to be what it was and them still to be able to create that feeling that was pretty cool. That was that was some of the best writing in wrestling I felt like for maybe maybe ever. It brought me. I mean, I, I checked out of wrestling sometime in the in the beginning of high school. Uh-huh. When you know, it went to the period where it just wasn't cool anymore. You know, Hogan was champion from like you know eighty four to eighty seven or eighty five to eighty eight, somewhere in that range. It was like three straight years, and then he uh-huh. lost it, and then he won it again, and then uh-huh. it just got kind of lame there in the early nineties. Yeah, but then then all of a sudden the NWO comes up. And you start yeah. to see all these people you loved from from both WWF and, and like the NWA, and now they're all on the same show. Yeah, and it's just, and Hulk Hogan's a bad guy. And you're like, what? And I remember, remember saying, wait, yeah, yeah. And then you yeah. couldn't help you wanted to watch every every week. You couldn't wait to see it happen. And I couldn't yep. remember feeling that way since '86. And then eventually that would fade away, and I, I started watching some Raw, but. Uh, Raw never captured me like, like the WCW stuff did. No, yeah, it, it and really we can get a whole did. episode of we can get a whole episode of Goldberg too. What the problem with that character was? Yes, um, yes, I I am all for that. So tonight's question brought to you by the good folks at Lilford's in Rembrandt, South Carolina, um, is going to be. Who is the only third baseman who won more gold gloves than Mike Schmidt? Well, off the top of my head, I'd have to say Brooks Robinson. <laughs> uh, you just can't stump him, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, they're always, you know, those two are always compared to each other. And then I would, I would, you know, George Brett was a great third great baseman. And Greg Nettles, remember him? Or Craig Nettles, sorry. Chipper, yeah. Chipper Jones was a third baseman for a long time. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> you know, the question wasn't how many third basemen can you name. <laughs> Ter- Terry you can... Pimbleton was a third baseman. <laughs> Scott Gosh, there, there, there is another. There is a great. You try to figure out in sports a free agent signing as significant as Terry Pendleton. Because the, the moment they get Terry Pendleton, and then for how many years he spends with the organization, his impact as a player, that is the catalyst for a tremendous run by the Atlanta Braves. I mean, you think bigger than Greg Maddox? Yeah, because we, we're not getting Greg Maddox unless P- P- Terry Pendleton gets there first and turns the Braves around. <laughs> I hear you. And so as, I, and I think as much as much as I love Greg Maddox, and I, I really do, and I don't mean this is going to sound like I'm throwing shade and I'm not. There are a lot of times where I would watch games in the 90s, and they would say, if I want someone to win one game, it's Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox wasn't tremendous in the postseason. 
What was I? I'm gonna I'm gonna dispute that. You can dispute that all you want. I'm just telling you. <laughs> well, the Braves weren't tremendous in the postseason. I mean, if if we're talking about if we're talking about performance in the postseason, you know, that's not really the Braves' strong suit. Um, I don't know. I mean, th- these stats in the postseason are pretty doggone good. Are you looking at them? I am. Three point two seven ERA when his career ERA was just three point one six. I just I don't remember him dominating in the postseason. I really An don't. Outstanding two point oh nine ERA in thirty eight point seven World Series innings. Yeah, okay, I can't argue that. Can't argue that. So uh, he was not the weak link. We're gonna throw. I'm, that not, saying he's, I'm not saying he's the weak link. I'm not saying that. Not, I didn't call him a weak link. Steve Avery. <laughs> maybe maybe Pete Smith. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> I think that most of our listeners have probably gone to bed. They, yeah, they so, sure have. Um, we, we've lost so, the five, yeah. 5 to 12 demographic. So this has been a uh, another pleasurable experience, and I can't wait next time to continue our assessment of Jim Crockett Productions. What I would like for uh, for Stu to work on is perhaps a guest shot by Tony Schiavone, or even just a uh, a shout out that he could you know record for us. <laughs> yeah, you know? like when I'm driving through Rimbert, I'm always listening <laughs> to the nexus of pop culture and cherry red. And that's what I'm screaming. And that's what I'm screaming. I love it. And, and if this if this podcast should end while we go to commercial, we will bring the match in its entirety. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. All right, sir. All right. Have a good night. Let's yeah. uh, let's try to let's try to talk before our next podcast. All right, sounds good. All right, good to talk to you. Mm. That's a